welcome adventurer to the Level Up Board Game Podcast, a show that uses your experiences and opinions to discuss board games and the gaming community. Join the heroes as they conquer perils such as meeples, cards, and miniatures, all in an effort to level up. You're listening to the Level Up Board Game Podcast. Hey, adventurers, welcome. It is episode 90 of the Level Up Board Game Podcast. This is just Patrick. Hey, King Scott here. And Scott, we are coming off of a massive gaming weekend. Teacher Ryan was in town. We had Woo. our meetup. We're going to hold off on meetup recap. I think maybe, what do you think? Maybe next episode we have Ryan join us and we can all talk about all the all the shenanigans of the meetup. I think so. I think that sounds like a good one because there was a lot of stuff going on. So that'll give us a chance to kind of get our thoughts together and really talk about it. Day after the meetup, though, you, you popped over. You guys uh, shared a little bit of scotch. We had a big Twilight Imperium game going. That's Brian's first one. And he told me he's going to save his thoughts for that episode. And he said, oh, you know what? I'll make that my recent play, and you'll hear my thoughts on it then. And, oh, I just got a little Ooh. bit close to the edge of my seat. Yeah, I know. I, I, I'm hoping that he thoroughly enjoyed it. But you know what? Not every game is for everyone. We're going to find out. Yes, yes. Um, I mean, the anticipation is killing me. <laughs> Let's start this as we always do with some of the things that got us juiced up some of the announcement that we saw and i'll lead it off with dei is coming back to game found march 28th which i think if you're listening it's already live dei that's divide et impera impera anywho it was on it it caught my eye the first go around uh you're controlling this band of survivors in like a post-apocalyptic kind of an ice age you know it's not just generic like oh the the world blew up or nuclear wind it's an ice age of some sort uh you get your own faction you get a hero you get explorers and then you're exploring this map i don't know a whole heck of a lot about it but it looks fantastic and i missed it the first go i think this time i'm gonna get in on it the biggie here's what draws me to it the designers tomaso batista which probably doesn't ring a bell. You know what he did? Okay. What? Barrage. Uh, oh, say no more. Say okay. no more. So I want to see his approach at a, we'll say, less Euro game. You know, this doesn't feel, there are miniatures in this one. You're exploring mm-hmm. things. There's there's some heavy theme happening. I want to see Tommaso's take on that type of game. And, and you better believe I'm backing at this go. Truly, I mean, you think about it, the water's running a lot slower if it is an ice age. <laughs> I'm here all week, folks. Try the feel. Uh, but anyway, thinking of crowdfunding stuff, uh, our buddies over at the Secret Cabal, they are doing their Kickstarter. Once again, they're getting that out, getting all sorts of promos out there, all sorts of whiskey glasses, pint glasses, hats, game uh, bags, all sorts of things that are available. We always enjoy that. I mean, that's one of those things there that really got us talking about, thinking about doing this, Mm -hmm. was listening to the Secret Cabal and what they do. So we have to thank them for what we're doing now and wish them the best of luck. That's going live until April 7th. So definitely check that out. Yeah, we're uh, we're Kabbalists first. Before we were uh, adventurers or heroes or whatever we want to call ourselves, we were we were Kabbalists first. I know you've backed their Kickstarters before. This is a particularly big year as they, they didn't do 
any crowdfunding last year. Now, right, you know, we always right. we always play the angle. We love to uh, hang our hat on like, well, we don't do crowdfunding. We do this for free because we love it. And that's that's kind of our shtick, right? But that said, mm-hmm. you know, I understand why other folks do have crowdfunding and, and uh, you know, Patreon accounts and ways to help support themselves as they commit so much time. Uh, oh, they, yeah. They're one of definitely. the best. You know, if there's, if there's a, uh, we'll say a podcast to back, a podcast that you're going to turn on and go, man, these guys are great. It's level up. But other than us, <laughs> it's the secret cabal. Oh, good luck to those guys. <laughs> good luck to them. Yeah. I think you have something here about the space Irish. Yeah, the space the opposite of outish. <laughs> Will was not happy about <laughs> oh, that. Galactic Renaissance <laughs> coming to Kickstarter. Same designer as Inish, and uh, all signs are pointing to this being sort of a space version of Inish. Not a copy-paste. You know, it's going to be different, but a lot of similarities. A lot of the same, we'll say, lineage. And uh, I haven't played Inish for a long time long time. It was one of the first times you and I were hanging out over here at my house, just like, okay, we need to play something for the show. Inish showed up at the door. You were leaving, oh, there's a package here. And it was Inish. And uh, I set up, I learned it. I got in a couple plays and it's it's been in the garage ever since. I did not sell it because I'm like, you know what? This is one that I can play again and again and again. And uh, we just haven't. We'll get there. Yeah, I have not had a chance to play that. And uh, I know I saw some pictures of it. It really looks great on the table. Just having the pedigree of being, like you said, a galactic version of Inish has a lot to offer there for people are going to back that. That looks really good. Oh, I'm going to have my eye on that one. There's one that I think you might have your eye on. I know that Battletech, the last time it was up, Ooh. you were a backer. You were a little disappointed in the, the length of time it took for you to get your copy. But Well, man, that was kind of my own it. fault. Oh, God, yeah. I mean, anything right now that Battletech touches, they are going through the roof. Right now, they have their Kickstarter going through April 20th. So far, there's 12,000 backers and $4 million in counting. Yeah, a lot of time left. this is absolutely insane. I look at it. I don't know if I'm going to jump on this one. Just that I have so many mechs right now, so much stuff here at home. I don't know if I really need it. Probably I'm going to be at a con or something. I'm going to see it, and I'm not going to be able to hold myself back, and I'm going to grab it. But Mm -hmm. just for jumping on it and then waiting a year and a half or whatever to get it, I got enough stuff to hold me over till that actually comes out to retail. But boy, oh boy, Catalyst is knocking it out of the park right now with Battletech. And it's celebrating its 40th anniversary now with very little changes to their rule system. Nice guys, too. I remember meeting them at, uh, what was it, PAX last year? Origins? I don't know. We got mm-hmm. to chatting with Catalyst. And they, what a good group they are. They, they gave us oh, yeah. three little models and whatnot. You know yes, I got yes, the starter box. Oh, I know. I know. We got to we got to throw it down here sometime soon. At some point, you show. You know what? Maybe that'll be our uh, our, our big break into uh, what what do you want to call that? Like skirmish, get bat, uh, miniature skirmish. Getting getting into miniatures. Okay, maybe we'll have an episode where uh, where battle tech will be the feature. That'd be I, I I'll try something different. Okay, okay, I I like that. I definitely like that. 
You'll remember now, what uh, next last you episode have? we had Wes. Wes was on. Uh, he's got Forge. It's live on Kickstarter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we had Wes on just. Uh, he gave us some audio just an episode or two ago about Forge. It's live. Get on over to Kickstarter. Check that one out. Looking really cool. Another one. Dude, my wallet. Uh, in March, I was doing okay. And then we had this meetup. <laughs> and then I got a steal of a deal online. And then age, what is uh, an age contrived was on Kickstarter. And then we got Galact- mm-hmm. Galactic Renaissance coming, DEI coming. Dude, Kickstarter's kicking my butt lately. Uh, I And I've been good. I've definitely been good. So uh, <laughs> you're, you're taking up my slack right now. There's another one you got now, listed on here that's got me enticed. Yeah. I feel like a, a proud godfather or something looking down at one of our uh, our godchildren in a, in a way. Doomlings Overlush is like what four thousand percent fulfilled. I mean, funded. It's, it's that is so cool. There. I feel this little bit of pride whenever I walk around. And I see it at Barnes and Nobles. I know, and I know. I know our, what you did. <laughs> Walmart, uh, Target. It it's so cool to see it out there and see it so popular. So happy for those guys, and really four thousand percent funded. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. You know, it's funny oh, is when goodness. we talked about it way back in nine, I think that was one of the comments that we said, like, oh, I could see this on a target shelf because they're not afraid to hold things like Cards Against Humanity, uh, yeah. or the Unstable Unicorn, some of the, okay, this isn't the most right, complex right. game. And credit to Doomlings, it is a better game than either of the aforementioned. Oh, yes. Uh, and it's nice to see that they're they're joining the the big box stores and hopefully, hopefully crushing it, giving them reason to keep on mm-hmm. going. Yeah, this is great. I'm so happy for those guys. Well, I was happy to see Mike at our meetup. I know we're not going to get into meetup recap just yet, but we did have Mike Clark, Pittsburgh local. Oh, He's the yeah. designer of Breakneck Derby. This one's a, a card playing, uh, what do you call that? Not uh, like a, not a rummy style? Poker. It's like poker. You're poker, making the poker yes. hands and you're moving the horses around the board. It's a, it's a, it's a horse race. And uh, we had the chance to play this one way back. We got a chance to play it again. He showed us he's got that premium wood board oh, with the, like the laser drilled or the com- metal horses I don't know how they got all the holes in the right spots. Yeah, no, the thing looks premium. He's got that going up. That's the, uh, the Breakneck Derby Classic. The pre-sale is going to be live. And you can look for a link in the show notes to anything and everything Breakneck Derby. Good to see you, Mike. Yeah, the great thing about that is it just has the look of one of those classic old games that people would have and they would pass down and it would pass down. That wood uh, board that he has, the metal uh, miniatures with the horses, it is just such a classic look. And yeah, definitely check out Breakneck Derby. I'll do one more. Time for it. All right. Lost Ruins of Arnak. Got an expansion coming, Scott. Another one. Another one. Well, I mean, it's been a year. It's been a little over a year now. We, <laughs> we got the missing expedition. This one is on the way. So we'll go right from BGG. Follow a trail to learn the fate of Professor K-U-T-I-L. Cutel? Cuddle? Cuddle? Sure. Cooter? I don't know how to say this. Kim Basinger? Basinger? And other missing explorers in the Lost Ruins of Arnak, the Missing Expedition. In this expansion, you can test the strategies offered by two new leaders. So we've got 
a couple more leaders joining the, what was it, five or six that came in the Leaders yeah, and Expeditions yeah. box. Explore new paths to knowledge on the two new research tracks, which that's, again, more of a, more of a good thing is good. And build your expedition team with new artifacts, items, and assistance. This expansion can simply be added to the Lost Ruins of Arnak base game, or it can be discovered as part of a solo or two-player cooperative campaign that consists of six chapters, each with a different set mm. of rules, goals, and and achievements. I, I'm in. I mean, it's, it's Lost Ruins of Arnak. I love the base game. I love, I think, Leaders. Leaders and Expeditions is fantastic. What it does to the game, the asymmetry that you get with a different starting deck and some different uh, options with what you can do on your turn based on your character, it spiced the game up. I don't need it to enjoy it, but man, is it fun to get that expansion. I want to see what this one's got. I've hardly played it outside of the review, so I'm anxious to get back and revisit Arnak and give it another shot here and and uh, see what these new expansions do for it. You didn't play the uh, Leaders and Expeditions yet, have you? No, no, I have not. Well, you know what? I, th- I feel like a lot of people compare it to Dune, and rightfully so. They are very similar. I think you early on were like, okay, Dune blew me away, and no matter what Arnak does, it's not Dune. Like, if it's 1 and 1A... One well, you're not, I'm sorry, if it's like 1A and 1B, you're not going to pick 1B because mm-hmm. you have and love 1A. Yeah, and they came out right at the same time as well. So it was one of those things. Which one do you want to go with? Yeah. Well, why not both? Well, I, I went for the sand. Come on, the spice must flow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Scott, let's get on with recent plays. You want to kick it off? You want me to? Ah, uh, why don't you kick it off here? No, actually, I'm going to take it. But- all right, Scott, what do you got? All right. Well, this one here, this is uh, kind of a level back in a way. This one goes back to 2005 oh, to yeah. a little game company called Decipher. Now, Decipher was known that they had a big game. They had Star Wars CCG. Mm-hmm. I adore this game. I still have a ton of the cards left, but I never really get it out to play. So it's kind of a, a shame there, and it's... It's tough to find people that know it since it is a much older game. And boy, oh boy, the price of those cards have just skyrocketed with that game. Really? So, yeah, yes, yes. I mean, you have some of those boxes that are like worth $400 or so. Wait, are are we talking sealed product? Yes. Okay. Because I know like there are times like in Magic, um, probably not anymore, but for the longest time, like a pack of Legends was worth more than any card that you could open in Legends. A pack of the Dark, because the rarest thing from that set was a package that was unopened. Uh, And never mind Mm -hmm. that, yes, there were very valuable cards. And I don't think that's true anymore. I I don't know. I don't follow the the pricing of Magic anymore. But uh, I digress. Wars. Yes. So... A little while after they had their popularity with Star Wars, they got everything out for them. Well, lo and behold, Decipher lost the license for Star Wars. So what were they going to do? Well, they decided to drop a word and release their own game. So they dropped Star and they released Wars TCG, the trading card Mm -hmm. game. So this was in 2005, and this was made up of their own original universe that they put out there but it used all the same mechanics, a little more streamlined than the Star Wars uh, system, which so many people absolutely loved. So in this, you are playing one of five different factions that you can possibly play. So you're going to be putting out different sectors. Now, sectors are going to be planets and 
where you're going to have your capital ships circling around, orbiting them, making sure that other ships don't come in. Then you're going to have sectors. Now, these sectors will be different places upon the planet where you can release different vehicles, different characters to fight each other. So what happens is you will get your deck of cards. You'll put out uh, a sector or a site. So what you'll do is you will then start out with getting your, well, it's so hard to go on. It's, I want to say your force drain, but mm -hmm. hey, we're not IP infringing. So your energy drain, you have different symbols on those sites and sectors where if you have a character there and your opponent doesn't, well, guess what? They're going to lose a number of cards based on how many of those symbols they have on their side. Because you're controlling This will then the lead into, exactly. This will okay. lead you into having a set number of cards that you can then use to put out different vehicles and characters or capital ships. You're going to be playing this, putting this out here, and there's a very unique way of making sure that you have enough energy. So each time you put out a sector or a site, you get more and more energy. But as you put more of those out there, there's more places that you have to cover so that your opponent can't steal energy from you or cards from you. Mm -hmm. So it's a, a catch-22 where do you want to expand, get a lot of power to put things out there, or do you want to keep things kind of close to your chest and just focus on a certain number of things? Battling is much, much simpler than Star Wars. There was a big thing with attrition, where no matter what happened, if you battled, even if you won, you were still going to lose a number of characters from the site you're battling. So, like casualties. Well, they, yeah. Yes. So, they've uh, gone along and they have streamlined this. Makes it much easier, much quicker, much easier to understand. So, it's just a wonderful combination of their own universe that they put plus the mechanics of the game that so many people loved that this is a great thing and the great thing about this is is that you can find it on the secondary market dirt cheap right now mm -hmm. you can get a whole box of boosters for like 18 bucks oh well Luckily, we have a place nearby here, uh, Hills Wholesale Gaming, that they have a ton of this. And we can just call them up and say, hey, I'm looking for two booster boxes and a box of decks. Boom. You get them and you haven't even spent 50 bucks. And, and you've got it's a game that you can great play for a year. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And just build deck after deck after deck. And it just really makes it a great thing to do. It's a great game, a great price that you can play with. And still, it's one of those things that it doesn't get old. It's still such a vibrant game to play. That would be Wars Trading Card Game. Absolutely love that one. Okay, so you were big on the Star Wars trading card game, and you said that was Decipher's baby, and when they lost the IP, they made war. So I can just, I can picture Scott 20 years ago, Star Wars, uh, mm -hmm. you, now Star Wars was 90s, I see Wars, you said, was like 2005. Star Wars wasn't going, yes. the, the TCG, that wasn't still going in 05, that only lasted like 95 to like 98-ish? Oh, I think it was longer than that, because uh, really? it went on for... Oh, a, a huge number of uh, releases and everything. Okay, okay. So I can I can picture you like, oh no, my Star Wars is done. They're done with my Star Wars. Oh yeah. So I'm. You owned a shop then, right? Was this back in your uh, your shopkeep? Days? No, no, no. 
All nope. right. All right. So how did you get into what? Did you play it back then or did you recently find out about this? I did not. And then I found out about it through Hills Wholesale and different people <laughs> talking about it. And I picked some stuff up and then I never played it. And then just recently, within the past two months, I all of a sudden found it while I'm rearranging things in my game room. I'm like, I need to get this out and play it some more. So I've been busy opening up cards and putting out different decks to play and just trying to get down everything so I can teach a bunch of people how to play this because it is one of those things where I could buy everyone a deck and pay like they pay me two bucks a deck or something like yeah, for you're it. Up and and we've got a whole afternoon. Yeah. Whole afternoon. Did you say a whole afternoon? I did say a whole afternoon. Yes. <laughs> Adventures, if you're trying to find this one, don't punch in Wars on BGG because I found out they're never going to find it. It's Wars Trading Card Game. Put in Wars Trading, it'll filter right to Wars Trading Card Game. Scott, going down uh, going down memory lane there a little bit. Oh, yeah. It was so nice to find this and go into it. Great times, great times with this. Brave Adventurers, Mondo Games has joined our party. Get 10% off your purchase with Mondo Games using promo code LEVELUP, L-E-V-E-L-U-P. You can go straight to their website or just click the Mondo button on our homepage at levelupgamepodcast.com. Want to expand your options in Unmatched? Enjoy a solo game of A Gentle Rain. Or maybe you're getting fired up for The Thing, Infection at Outpost 31. Don't just score some loot, get 10% off with promo code Level up. All right, Scott, you know what? If you're going to take it back to 05, I'll go to 2016. We'll go back a good ways for this one, too. This is a game called Zabarius, designed by Brachia Gluick and Benny Goldstein. Okay, Zabarius, let's uh, let's first note here that a copy of this game was quite generously provided by the publisher. So typically when that happens, we tend to give more of a walkthrough of the game with some upsides and downsides. And you know what, that's how I'm going to approach it here. So Zabarius, this is an area control skirmish game for two to four players where you take control of one of four fantasy races, the humans, orcs, undead, or guardians, each with eh, their own play style, and you're going to throw down. Now, okay, it's hard to describe the setup and the factions without describing how the game arrived, okay? A game comes in the mail. Okay. I'm opening it. I'm expecting this box, but there wasn't one. Uh, it was like, mm. yeah, it was like plastic, like the wrap over four, What basically it looked like a bunch of punch boards. And I was like, what in the world did I just get sent? Each faction has its own board, okay? Like a triple layered okay. board. So picture a piece of cardboard in the middle, and then one on this side that has your units, coins, and buildings all inset into it. So you can, like, pull them out, put them back onto the board. Pull them out. All right. Okay. That's on the one side. And then the other side, the entire front of it, it's an image of your faction, like one of your characters. And that big old image, that's one big piece. It's inset as well. When you pop it off of the board, you turn it over. There you go. There's your map, which is your portion of the main board. Check this out. The four dice. Every faction's got four custom dice. They're held on that board as well. They have four square holes on the board with like a styrofoam or a rubber lining. You just kind of like slide okay. them in. And they stay put. They, they Once yep. they're in, they're in. So a really neat way to like 
pick up your faction. You know, I, I just, yeah, guys, let's yeah. meet at the shop. I'm bringing my, uh, my undead, that kind of thing, right? And everybody just brings their board and you're good to go. <laughs> okay, so the players in this game, they're going to bump their boards next to each other with their home bases a good distance apart from one another. There you go. You're basically ready to play. So, okay. a turn. It's pretty simple. And uh, it's typically up to the player as you don't really have to follow a set order. Uh, so you have the option to, in your turn, you can buy cities, you can upgrade them, you can buy units, and you can move units, and you can come to fisticuffs. You can fight each other. Cities are pretty simple. You build the first level city, and you're going to get a coin per turn. Plus, you can now build level one units. And then for two coin, you can upgrade to a level two city. And you have your level two units unlocked. And finally, level three in much the same way. So you're going to produce units in cities. You just pop that cardboard unit off of the back of your faction board, put it on the city, and it's good to go. Start moving, start fighting. Obviously, different units have different strengths, different powers, but it's not overwhelming. Like you've got 12 units total on the back of that board. And starting the game, you only have access to five different ones. Uh, So it's not like information overload to figure out what they do, right? Sure. How many spaces can they move? Whatever their allotment is. Typically one space, but uh, each unit is allowed to use their move each turn. Now your units inevitably are going to rumble when they get in range with each other, and you're going to resolve combat using those dice that you popped out of your faction board. So you're going to check this out. How's this for simple? Add your unit's muscle strength, which they all have, plus roll the dice that you're allowed to roll, add it up. Defender does the same thing. High number wins. That's combat. The losing unit has to go back to the armory from whence it came. There are some ways to buff your attack or your defense based on positioning of units. Like in an attack, you can ambush or in defense, you can support each other. A defender in a city gets that city's muscle added as well. But it's as easy as adding those additional units muscle numbers. And in that regard, it actually gets a little bit chess-like because... The information's on the board. I mean, aside from the die roll, the information's perfect. Okay, I see that you can support, plus you're in a castle, so I know that your muscle power is this, so I need to ambush, and I need to use these two guys. So you start to really, like, okay, how far ahead can I think? What will you do if I don't try to attack now, right? You can also opt to attack your opponent's cities, which is basically resolved in the same way. When you're done activating everything that you want, your opponent does the same back and forth until one player has eliminated all of their opponent's cities. It sounds like a really cool game here that you just bring like a little folder with you. You put out your board, you have everything there ready to go. Mm-hmm. Now, what were your thoughts about, I mean, is this something that is like flash in a pan or is it something that you feel that's going to be around for a while? What are your thoughts on the game? Did you enjoy it? Well, let's approach it with the pros and cons. I'll answer that first. Yes, uh, I enjoyed this game. I'm not going to call it a flash in the pan, though. This one came out in 2016, and I hadn't heard of it yet until I saw, oh, hey, we're looking for reviewers for Zabarius. And I was like, you know what? I'll give this one a go. So let's start with pros. First off, the faction board concept, that's pretty cool. That is really cool. Everything you need being on one board I could just picture a kid having this in their backpack for recess, maybe uh, bring a different faction each week. It's compact. It sets up quick. I like that. And it also leads me to think, you know what, if this was to catch on, if the development was 2016, but they're not really pushing it until this year because they do have a Kickstarter planned. If they're going to start Mm -hmm. pushing this, I can see where it would be really easy to like, okay, let's. Our next expansion is three more faction boards. After that, it's three more faction boards. You know what I mean? Like you could very easily uh, make this almost like buying a new pack, right? 
Right. Yeah, Second, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is a straightforward game. Uh, it is meant for younger gamers. Uh, that's their target audience. It introduces some concepts like uh, ramping up production, upgrading unit positioning, while generally being a light game. This is light. I think, you know, young teens and even like 10, 9, I think younger gamers are really going to enjoy this. They're going to feel like they're doing something meaty. You and me, I didn't break it out with you because it's like, nah, this this just doesn't have enough for, you know, like medium and he- hobby gamers, we'll say, right? Mm-hmm. I like that there's a bit of luck without having dice play about a 30% change in the combat. Without without it influencing combat, it would be really calculative and it would lose some of the excitement. I, I think considering that Zabarius does want to target that, that younger audience here, I think a little bit of luck can leave a lasting impression. I'm not going to qualify this as a like or not, but uh, while we're talking about some of the, the details, things that I noticed about the game, uh, the copy that I have had a big old gold ribbon printed on the face of it, uh, of each of the faction boards, right? And it says, uh, Zabarius is the number one best educational game for kids ages six plus to improve counting and reading skills. And I thought, man, that's that's pretty awesome. You know, so I reached out to the designers mm-hmm. like, how'd you guys get this title? Tell me about that. They responded that they got some bad advice on how to word that the game is beneficial for reading and counting, right? I, I gather oh, that like okay. there there isn't a, an official study or anything. They're aware that that comes across poorly, and uh, they actually said, mm. you know, we're removing that from future printings because it doesn't belong. It does help with with counting, uh, with reading, and I get that. It makes sense right, to me. Right. I see it when I play, uh, but unfortunately, <laughs> the, the, the ribbon on the front that it, it's there on the copy that I have shouldn't be moving forward. Now let's talk a little bit about, you know, maybe things that I didn't love, things that could be improved upon a little bit. First off, and this is more a personal preference for me. The rule book is an online sure. video. Oh, okay. Okay. Now that's fine for some and might even be better for a younger group. But for me, I don't like that. Like if it's online only make it a PDF, you know, I want to be able to just like find the rule or have a quick reference. I don't want to have to like click on the video to get to the part that has right, the thing. Right, right. Okay, so you get where I'm going with that. Number two, the units, their costs, their abilities and whatnot, they're all on the back of the unit, right? So if you wanted to say, okay, what does that cost? How far does it move, etc.? You have to pry it off of the board and turn it okay. over and look at it. And And the unit is not like... It's not like an eight. Picture the number eight, how like if you took it off the Mm -hmm. board and just turned it around, you could put it back in the board. No, it's like a number two, where if you take it out and you flip it around, it doesn't fit back in the spot that it was Mm. in. Did it make sense? Am I giving you a visual? Okay. I didn't like that. It, It could be a lot of like, pull it off the board, see what the cost is. And it would be so easy to just underneath each unit put the numbers there. And uh, I actually suggest that to them. I'm hoping that that's something that they do in the next printing. Next, uh, this is going right back to that board. Those inset spaces. This is me. Scott, I'm a nail biter. I bite my fingernails. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm not sorry. Uh, It was really hard for me to get those things off the board. (laughs) Oh. I was using my X-Acto knife and, and like getting it underneath and prying. And then putting them back on and then prying back off. Uh, that That's a thing. Uh, I, I will say, as we know that they have a Kickstarter coming up, they're hoping to have 3D miniatures and expansion sets in the next printing of the game. So hopefully that will solve this issue in some way. Anyhow, a uh, last thing I'll point out, and it's not really a downside at all, but uh, I, I just want to stress again, Adventures, the target audience here is younger gamers. Zabarius succeeds in being a younger gamer's intro to skirmish games, but it lacks a depth that I think, Scott, you and I, for example, are going to want. 
If you're mm-hmm. listening to a board game podcast, that means you too. You're probably not listening to this considering Zabarius for yourself. That said, it is a fun game. It's compact. It's a quick game that hopefully you are considering for the kids, the nephews, the classroom at recess maybe, because it does have some wonderful elements. Asymmetric factions, unique characters, upgrades, portability, fun artwork. I like this game for the audience that they're trying to target. Now, when provided, they said they're intended to go to crowdfunding for the next run of the game. We don't have a firm date yet, but you can learn more at www.zabarius.com. Z-A-B-E-R-I-A-S, zabarius.com. Yeah, this definitely sounds like the ones, like, whenever I always get games for my nephews or something, or something for teachers in maybe, like, later elementary school, Mm -hmm. like fifth, sixth grade, something like that for them to do whenever they have free time or whenever they're done with their homework and they're just like, instead of running around rampant through the room or something, this will give them something to do to to kind of get that energy going. So that that really sounds quite interesting. Dude, indoor recess in the 90s, it was all about pogs. You remember, (laughs) that was probably past your time. I mean, I know you know what they are. Oh, it was, yes. The pogs, man. Okay, so you got the little cardboard pogs that cost way too much. And then you got your slammers, which are the plastic pieces that are thicker. But if you're a rich kid, you got the metal slammers. And not just the metal ones, you got the saw blade designed slammers, right? And they all had yin-yangs on them for, I don't know, yin-yang was cool in the 90s. You weren't cool (laughs) if you didn't have yin-yangs on all your shit. (laughs) Okay, wow. If you were even cooler and richer, you got what was called a torpedo, which was a slammer that was like two inches tall. It was just a hunk of metal. Kids <laughs> were slamming, slamming it off a crap in their, uh, in their recess. Dude, we would set up pogs, and we wouldn't just play pogs. We would play slammers, right? The, the, the way that you play. You remember, you put all the pogs face down, then you hit it with a slammer, and the ones that go face up, you get to keep and, and that's a problem in and of itself at school because technically the way you play the game is whoever flips them face up, they get to keep them. It doesn't matter who owns them. That person owns them now, right? <laughs> we would do that with the slammers, right? And parents were getting pretty ticked off because slammers, I mean, you'd have to go to the mall kiosk and drop 4 or $5 on a slammer. Then <laughs> Junior would go into school and like, you know, one torpedo hit, they lose three slammers. Yeah, they're going to get the belt when they go home. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness! Oh, good times. I, you know what? I'll let you have Zabarius for your nephews. Uh, have them give it a try and uh, maybe report back at some point. Let me know what they think. Yeah, 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 definitely. That uh, with Easter coming up, I know we have a lot of family things coming together, mm-hmm. so that might be something something good to do then. So that that sounds great. Speaking of sounding great, I saw you play in the Night Cage. They invited me to join it, but I yes. couldn't because I, I was actually relatively busy at the meet. You know what? This last meetup, I know we're not getting into the recap, but I did a whole lot of super simple 20-minute games so I could, like, bounce around. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I withheld joining the Night Cage. Tell us about it. You awaken in the dark, your skin cold, your mind blank. You have nothing but your fear, a flickering candle, and a question. How long will your light last? Trapped and crawling your way through a pitch-black labyrinth, equipped with nothing but dim candles, you must work together to explore the maze and escape. Unfortunately, your weak candlelight illuminates only your immediate surroundings. Worse still, horrifying wax-eaters, monsters who despise the light, lurk in the suffocating darkness for their opportunity to strike. Now, 
if there was ever a game that can shine based upon where you play it, this would be it. Yeah. You're trapped inside the labyrinth. Within them, you got the dangers awaiting you. You choose a tile, a la Tsuro, and place it along the path that you're traveling. You move along, but unlike Tsuro, you're only able to see so far ahead. When you move, the light goes with you, and the path you have taken is likely to disappear and rearrange. Mm -hmm. You remove the tiles from where you went. It seems easy enough, but in this stack, there's creature. This has the most unfortunate name, Wax Eaters. Uh All I can think is like these, like, like uh, a Norwegian folktale of these little gnomes that eat wax out of your ears. That's the only thing that comes to my mind. I went mind. right to like a gremlin stealing all the Q-tips. Uh, whenever the wax eaters appear, they will attack anything within line of sight once you move. So once one of them comes into play, it's like, am I going to stay in this place? Or is someone going to run in front and run... Uh, in, have them run into them to save me because this is a cooperative game. Now, the game is not difficult. It's more luck-based than anything because you're choosing tiles and you have no idea how they're shuffled. Choosing up. as in drawing at random. Exactly. Okay, yeah. But it's a fun game. We sat there and we're just like scared to pull the next tile. Like, is it going to be a wax eater or not? Or are we going to get a key that we have to lose? And once we lose too many keys, everyone loses because everyone has to escape from the maze or else you all lose. Now, I saw this on the table for a minute. Give me a give me a mechanical breakdown of what you guys were doing. I'm seeing these tiles with like white outlines that looked like they created, you're calling it the labyrinth. It looks like hallways. Mm-hmm. And I'm guessing you each had a player piece and you had to, are you trying to find keys and then find exits? Yes. What you're doing is as you select the tiles, one of them will come out. It could be just a straight walkway, a crumbling walkway. It could be a gate for you to get out, or it could be a key. The key you want to get, because that will allow you to open the gate and escape. Boom, done, easy. The one that's tricky is the crumbling walkways that you would get. Because mm-hmm. once you walk across it, it's gone. Well, it's gone oh, yeah. and it creates a pit. Now you can fall into that pit if you have to go back over it again. So you really get stuck there. And all the light will show is the orthogonal front way, backwards, left and right. That's the only place you're going to be able to see. Diagonal, completely out of the question. So if you move forward one and you think, oh, right up there is where I need to go. Well, if it's in a diagonal spot from where you are, it's gone. So it's going to be replaced whenever you move up closer. I was going to say, how do they emulate that? Because once the tile's on the board, you know it's there. It actually gets replaced, so it might not. It gets replaced. Yes, like that. So it's not a difficult game, and it it is luck based more than anything. But it's still fun. Mm This is also much more fun when playing with others. You can play this solo, but playing with others, since it is cooperative, you're really trying to discuss the strategies as to, is someone going to run in front of the wax eater to draw them off of me so I can go and get the key quickly? Or here's a key over here. I'm going to stay here and not move so we don't lose this area. Because it's on a diagonal. If you move, it's going to get replaced. So you need to stay put while someone else works their way to it 
going or exactly okay now the interesting thing about it is once you get to the edges of the board you can actually cross over like pac-man where you go through that little tunnel and come out on the other Mm -hmm. side so you can do that in this as well now i don't know if i would put this game into my collection but it is one that i would definitely play if someone brought it up okay the artwork dredges up all sorts of images of nightmares. I mean, it's really dark and very, very creepy looking. It's worth giving it a try, seeing if you like it. If you like Soro, this is a nice twist to that game there. And it really builds on the cooperative play there as far as like, I'm going to stand here and keep my candle lit so you can see where it's at. You better get over here before I get attacked. So it's a, it's a lot of fun. Sounds like it's a lot really of a tension game. every time a, every time some tiles need drawn. Were you guys feeling that? Oh, most definitely. Every time you would pull one out, you're like, do I want to flip it over? Do I I don't want to flip it over? And you flip it over and it's like, oh, <laughs> it's a path. Okay, we're good. We're good. It is a fun experience to play this game. I mean, it's not one of those things where you're really building a strategy, but it's a fun You're not going to think your way out of a jam. You might think your way into a better position, but it's not uh, mathematical. Okay, I get that. I got to know then. Did you win? Uh, No, no. We we (laughs) failed horribly. Yeah. Yeah, the wax eaters had a, uh, a field day munching on our bones. Well, on that note... Hi, I'm Sarah McLaughlin. I'm reaching out today with a cry for help. Every day, innocent podcast hosts go hours without being the center of attention. My ego. Your five-star rating on iTunes says that you care. I need to be important. Without your support, these nerds will be neglected, beaten, possibly die. I'm so hungry. Please, open your heart. Give that five-star rating on iTunes, or rate them favorably on whatever platform you listen. Scott, you know who's quickly become one of my favorite publishers? Who is that? Dragon Dawn Productions. And you know why? Mmm. Because they support us. And they give us a promo code. And I'm pretty sure that a few episodes ago, whenever I played the commercial, I played the one that we did last year, which was actually the wrong promo code. Our promo code is 23LEVELUP. 23LEVELUP. Like the year 2023. 23LEVELUP. I tell you what. Ren Multimaki, he runs Dragon Dawn Productions. They've been really good to us there. You know, they, They'll yes. send us things. They got uh, We got the level up card. We got, we got a promo mm-hmm. in Factory 42. You know, he sent me another copy of everything Factory 42 with the little mine carts, the plastic mine oh, carts, wow. everything from the last Kickstarter. They sent me an all-in. It's mine, and I'm not sharing it. So there. <laughs> well, I actually have a copy that they sent you of White Hat sitting on my no, table no, no, right no, 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 no. You borrowed that when you were here yesterday. <laughs> that is... I don't, well, I have it in front of me right now. <laughs> Scott, we got another one similar, actually, to White Hat, and that's a game called Tolerance, which is currently, as you're listening, launched and live on Kickstarter. And it was actually designed by Ren. Ren Multimaki, uh, he designed this one. From BGG, Tolerance is a strongly thematic, asymmetric set collection game with variable player goals for three to five players, representing the conflict between Protestants and Catholics in 16th and early 17th century England. Through the use of a trick-taking mechanic, where the winner of each trick gets to perform the actions of the cards played in the trick, whether beneficial or not, 
players build their engine, scoring points at the end of combat. Now, half of you just checked out when I said it's the conflict between Protestants and Catholics in 16th and 17th century England. This game is cool. Don't check out yet. So, big fan of White Hat. Talked about that one a few episodes ago. I think that game's fantastic. That's the trick taker where you're hacking some sort of like digital defense mm-hmm. system. A very fun game that's still getting to the table for me. Now that you're learning it, I feel like you and Tom and I can play this one a handful of times and just keep playing it. It's got that oh, replayability. Yes. So when Ren was like, hey, you guys want to have a look at Tolerance? It's a no-brainer. So we got three rounds of play in this one, nine tricks per round. And trick-taking usually means that there's going to be suits. And in this case, the suits, we've got townsfolk, nobles, clergy, peasants, and wilds. Each card also has a coin value, a piety value, and an after-trick effect, which is a big part of this game. Hmm. The high value is the winner of a trick. The trick winner takes the cards and puts them around their player board in appropriate spaces, uh, namely for uh, living and deceased Catholics, Protestants, and unaffiliated folks, right? At the end of the first full round, like after the first nine tricks, the monarch, if still living, is going to be replaced by the next round's monarch, who, of course, is going to shake things up a little bit. Mm, of course. At the end of three full rounds, you'll score points according to your player board. You know, you're putting those that the deceased and living Catholics, Protestants, and unaffiliated around your player board. You're going to score based on your player board plus piety and coins. And of course, the high score is the winner. So what grabbed me with tolerance? Uh, and there's a couple things, Scott. I want you to lean in. Really lean in. Get, uh, turn up the volume a little bit because this is cool. All right. I want to start All right. here. There seems to be a kick lately of trick-taking games that are shaking things up by not having suits, not having values, right? right? Sort of taking the primary mechanism of trick-taking and changing it. Think cat in the box. That's fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It makes for an interesting game. I prefer trick-taking games to be traditional, right? And I bet you do too. You're a Euchre player. I bet you want your trick-taking to feel like trick-taking. Oh, yeah, 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 definitely. Tell me the main mechanism of how to play into a trick and who wins. I don't want that to be messed with, and they don't with here. The variables and tolerance. So what's going to make this different than something like a Euchre or Hearts? The variables here come in a few different places. First, the player board. It's it's basically a big old card. When I say board, you know, when people tell me it's a board, I picture cardboard. This is a large card, right. bigger than a tarot card. Well, about a tarot. Oh. Yeah, a little bit bigger than a tarot. Tarot plus. Okay. (laughs) You're not managing resources on it. Uh, You're not actually like moving cubes on it, uh, but it does spell out your asymmetric power. It designates where you're going to put cards that you win, and that's going to shape how you prioritize certain tricks. That's a big variable for when you're valuing the cards. Second, the after trick abilities of the cards. Uh, You play a card. uh, It might be very good, but it has a downside. After the trick, this is carried out. You might have a bad card that after the trick, this great thing happens, but you have to win the trick with that bad card. There are times when you want to win a trick, but man, if you play that card to lose that trick, its ability might be clutch for that situation or or the winning card that the winner gets. It's just not going to be something beneficial for them. So if I lead off on, say, a 10 that has a very bad ability... But I'm thinking, you know what? That's okay. I'm not going to win this trick anyway. People can mess with that, right? That's how you're valuing the cards. And and your valuations are going to fluctuate as you play. That happens and it gives players that nice, meaty decision that we all like to make in games. And it happens repeatedly with each round. Nine tricks per round. It's going to continue to happen. 
Finally, you got those monarchs shaping the rounds, which is the, that last little variable. They, they don't like, whoa, the game's different. It's always the same three in always the same order, which is nice for consistency's sake, but also nice in that, again, you have one other thing to consider when you're considering, is this a trick I want to win? Is this a trick I want to lose? Right. How many Catholics or Protestants are in this trick? Do I want to take it? Do I not? It still feels like, you know, it does enough to shake things up while still being traditional so that it feels like the game is going to be different when you play, and yet similar enough that it's a game that you're going to be able to improve your skill at, and I like that. Now, looking at this here, you said with the leaders and that come out each, uh, each of the rounds there, is that something that you feel really kind of gives you something to base your game around? Like, that's the one constant that you can count on yes. with everything else going crazy. Yes. Uh, now, monarchs can be removed, so you can't count on to be there for the entire nine tricks. However, you can okay. count on at the beginning of the second round and the beginning of the third round, you're going to have the second round monarch and the third round monarch. Your first play, you're not thinking that far ahead. Your fourth right. play, you're like, okay, I know that at the end of this round, this is what's going to happen for the monarch. And I mean, everybody can see it, but you've been there before. You know, you know mm -hmm. I, I like that. So there is consistency in that regard, yes. that This sounds some, like something I definitely need to check out there because looking at it with between the Catholics and the Protestants in 16th century England, uh, a trick-taking game, I mean, it's checking all the boxes mm -hmm. for me right now. So, yeah, definitely got to check this one out. Well, let's talk a little bit about the components. This one is live, so you know, inevitably, I hear Kickstarter. I want to know about the components. As far as physical components here, it's cards. Okay, you get a bunch of regular size cards and some really big ones for the player mats. Uh, that's mm -hmm. that's it. Uh, Tolerance is in the small box line from Dragon Dawn. Uh, it's got the same size box as the White Hat copy that you got. So like and Michelle that Michelle Darwinning, yeah, they've got a handful of these. Like call it like a four by what was it, five by seven box. Yeah, about that. Yeah, I think so. Okay. Bear in mind, this game is $20. It's a trick-taking game. We're not expecting wash minis here. What we are hoping for is quality artwork. And we got it from a dude named Lars Monk, who I actually looked up as, what else has this guy done? Uh, he seems to be in-house for Dragon Dawn Productions. They got to hold on to him. The cover of this box for Tolerance looks like a Hieronymus Bosch artwork. And I know what you're thinking. Who is that? You might know. Do you know Hieronymus <laughs> Bosch? I feel like I should. Okay, yeah, this is weird. We had my mom had art books when we were growing up, and one of them was Hieronymus Bosch. And to an eight-year-old little boy, it was the most intriguing artwork. So why don't we take a moment to learn something? Okay. Considered one of the greatest artists of the Northern Renaissance, Bosch is known for creating relentlessly imaginative works rich in religious symbolism, allegory and fantastical elements depicted in bustling scenes across expansive compositions. So this dude did a whole lot of work that was like, this is my depiction of hell, right? There's like a face with, with nothing behind it and it's being stretched out like a canvas by a bunch of little demons. And I mean, it's weird, it's weird artwork. And they've got a very similar vibe going on. And not all of it, you know, some of it just looks like a noble, right? But it looks like this is artwork from the 16th century, the 15th century. It's really, really cool. And I think it it draws in that time. Trick-taking, we always say, Scott, is very, very hard to capture theme in trick-taking. But, uh, but I think they did a great job with the artwork here. Yeah, I'm actually looking at this, and I my jaw is just 
almost on my table. Are you right looking now, at the tolerance artwork, at or did you look up Hieronymus yes. Bosch? Okay, okay. No, the tolerance artwork is stunning. Yeah, yeah. Isn't that? It looks like oil paintings, old oil, like they could be in an art museum. Yes. Well, and also you can look at it too. That uh, there is another backer on it right now as well too. <laughs> King Scott, I love it. Wow. So yeah, that is Tolerance from Dragon Dawn Productions. Oh, I missed him. I mean, it, it just makes me feel happy whenever I hear him playing his horn. He's a warm hug. Yes, yes he is. And when we hear him, that means it's time for the top 100 update prime movers. Kanban EV up three spots to number 60. Not a whole lot to talk about here because we have no debuts, no changes in the top 10. Wow. Only three highest peak changes. Great Western Trail second edition is still going. It's up to number 37. Still, we're on. A, we're kind of on a top 10 watch because I, I think the first edition made it in and, and second edition is just climbing fast. Oh, yeah. Kanban EV, higher than it's ever been at number 60. And recently, the search for Planet X cracked the top 100. It's up to number 94. Not too bad. Not too bad. I I have that copy here, and I need to go searching here sometime <laughs> soon. Which it did there. Happy birthdays. We've got two. Cascadia has been on there for a year. And Wingspan for four. Well, happy birthday to them. <laughs> you sounded angry. <laughs> Hey adventurers, King Scott here. Today we're going to be taking a look at the 8-bit breakdown of Brazil Imperial. Designed by Z Mendes and published in 2021 by Portal Games. Brazil is a 4x Euro game in which 2-4 players take on the roles of historical figures developing Brazil. After 3 eras of gameplay, the player with the most points is the winner. Let's quickly go over some setup then how to play. The game board is set up according to the number of players, and each player count has a couple of map setup options to choose from. Players will each receive a player board, which houses the troops that they might deploy, the goods they will manufacture, the palaces they might construct, and a menu of five actions to choose from at the bottom. Further, each player gets three objective cards, one for each era. Setup also includes the deck of gold cards, a market of painting cards for purchase, each providing an asymmetric ability, and the tiles that represent the structures you'll build throughout the game. Now, player turn is quite simple. The options are to place a military unit, build, buy a painting, refresh resources on your buildings, or trade resources. Pretty simple. And for the sake of this walkthrough, the only further I'll describe them is to note that each action has a cost. After performing an action, a player is then allowed to move one or more of their troops on the board, which for gameplay purposes can lead to exploring face-down exploration tiles for a small bonus, expanding your reach when considering where to build, or potentially coming into conflict with your opponent. Now, while you'll be scoring points for many of the actions you take during play, you'll have to pay steady attention to your three-era objective cards. These give you some direction on where to focus your strategy. And in fact, the final round is triggered when a player accomplishes their era three objective. As always with our walkthroughs, we like to give you a sense of the game, and to do so, we have to leave several details out. In the case of Brazil, I didn't touch on the resources being on the main board. 
the gold cards having various uses, or the restrictions on what can be built based on what era you're in. That said, I hope this gives you a good idea of how Brazil is going to play out when it hits your table. Now, let's see how we felt about it while it was on ours in the 8-bit breakdown of Brazil Imperial. Until the arrival of the Europeans, Brazil was settled by Stone Age tribes. Then the Portuguese arrived in 1500 and Pedro Alvarez Cabral claimed Brazil as a colony of Portugal. The first settlement was founded in 1532 and Portugal began to take more of the land. Their primary export was sugar. Today, Brazil is the fifth largest country in the world. Well, thank you, Scott, for the walkthrough of today's review game, Brazil Imperial. Adventures, we like to break down our games into eight bits, ending with bit number eight. Was it fun and who's it for? You want to take the floor, Scott? We're going to do art and components first, as we always do. Well, yes, so... Art and components, looking at a game called Brazil Imperial, it seems pretty dry. But hey, guess <laughs> yeah, what? It does. <laughs> this is a happy game. It's so bright, colorful, great artwork. The ability to change the map is great. Mm -hmm. The little thing that I loved was the fact that each of the palaces are shaped differently even. Yeah. It would have been so simple to just make all of them look alike, but that little bit, that little change elevated this game just that little bit to make it even more enjoyable. Absolutely. They really went into a lot of work, the artwork, the, the actual paintings that you can purchase and everything. Absolutely stunning. Yeah, they're very, very good. Very vibrant game. You're right about that. Yeah, the colors just pop on the table there with this game. What what did you think? Well, I'm going to go ahead and say that the components were good, if not mind-blowing, right? Um, you've got the, the laser-cut wood pieces, as you mentioned, for those buildings. Mm -hmm. But let's not forget the monarch, the soldiers. Uh, they're they're all laser oh, yeah. cut differently, and and not the monarch, the cannon. Those are those are the same for people, but the soldiers they're cut they're laser cut differently for each color. I also mm. came to find that I am missing one of the soldiers for one of my factions because of that damn cat getting up oh. on the table. I thought I had everything <laughs> somewhere in my basement. There is a Brazil Imperial meeple for a soldier for the blue player because it's not in the bag. The colors are striking without clashing, right? Yes, yes. That's a great way of putting it. Now, they do make a point in this game to, like, they have paintings. You can purchase those paintings. The painting cards that give you an asymmetric ability. When you're going to have that in your game, you better make sure that they look good. And they do. Oh, They've got a nice, colorful ever. border. Uh, er everything about the game, to me, is pleasing to the eye. And I do want to say, I, I pointed out, components good, not great. Let's not forget, this is a standard-priced, standard box. Right. So, Lots and lots of quality from the wooden pieces to the artwork to the tiles in there. For me, I thought it scored really well on the art and the components. Very much so. Now, the theme and immersion. What do you think? Okay, so we've got the theme of of colonizing Brazil, right? Uh, we're, we're, we're building plant, uh, what, plantations, coffee plantations, and, you know, we're trying to industrialize it, so to speak, settle it. Uh, they, this is marketed. Right, as a 4X right. style of game, which, as we'll recall, that is explore, exploit, expand, and exterminate. Thematically, 
you're going to get the sense of expanding and developing with those right. tiles that you're placed throughout your areas. Okay, okay. So we're good on we're good on expanding. That made sense to yes. you too. Perfect. There's a true sense of progression as you move from the first era to the second area, uh, to the second era. I like that. Uh, now, as far as 4X goes, I think it's like a 3X or maybe a 2.5. And this isn't even touching on theme yet. I'm touching on that 4X because it does, you know, this is the 4X Euro game. The exploration was a little bit weak. You have some face down tiles, you flip them, and it, it does a minor thing. The exterminate is the other X that's a little bit light. You can yeah. you can get up in each other's business, but it's not like a Twilight Imperium or Risk. You know, when we think exterminate, right? Yeah, yeah. No, this this you're 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 kind of you're buzzing by their ear, and they're swatting it there at the side of their face because you're annoying them. <laughs> think scythe, right? Scythe, you can get attacked unless you're a big dumb dumb and you have all of your resources in one spot. You might lose a resource, and it's like, well, that's frustrating. Or maybe they reposition your leader. Man, that's frustrating. But you're not out of the game because of it. Which some games, that's what exterminate means. You there's a, a looming threat throughout play. You have to constantly be on the lookout for the fact that you can be exterminated. Right. I think the combat reminding me of Scythe is going to lead me to the point that a lot of this game. A lot of Brazil Imperial feels inspired by Scythe, not just the combat, but like when you upgrade, uh, you can move those little upgrade spots on your player board that felt like it's right out of Scythe. You can choose an action each turn, but you can't choose the same action that felt like it's out of Scythe. Uh, the leader. Now, you don't have a faction, like you're not going to be uh, be playing as Rusviet, and that's different than Polania. No, but if you're the blue player, you have the blue leader, or you flip it to the other side, and you have a different blue leader. That's your asymmetry. Uh, I, I think we're going to continually call back to Scythe, but theme and immersion, I've already said I don't think it's especially 4X. Settling Brazil, you're adding tiles, you're seeing the board expand, you're seeing it build up. I can get behind that a bit. What did you think? Now, I, I, I said a whole lot there, Scott. Take the floor from me. Well, I'm not going to say as much. Say uh, a whole lot. <laughs> you have the whole floor. <laughs> no, the theme is unique. I mean, it's colonizing Brazil. It is a unique theme. But moving your military around, taking actions, building palaces, buying paintings, all of these things were just fun. Yeah. I never felt that I was working to take over Brazil or exert my dominance upon everyone, mm -hmm. but there was something special about the play. It was just a fun experience. Mm -hmm. it, it was just something that I enjoyed what I was doing, getting from point A to B to C and doing everything. It was a fun experience playing this game. All right, well, let's go then to bit number three, the complexity. We've got a primary mechanism driving the Brazil engine that is action selection at the bottom of mm -hmm. your player board. So you're going to have to understand how to carry out each of the actions in their entirety, which includes movement, which happens after you make your selections. You always get a free move, but there's some bonus way of moving. Like if you select this action, you can move anything over water this turn, right? Now, we say this often, uh, and I'm going to say it again. None of it is difficult to understand, but there is a lot of it to learn. Uh, you're not going to have a whole lot of A leads to B leads to C. Interconnectivity that we see in complex games like, I don't know, we'll say a Lacerda. You know, oh, we mm -hmm. have to understand one thing to understand the next. No, you're not going to run into that. But there are a lot of simple one-off things that you are going to have to learn. So to me, I think it's a little bit on the heavier side of medium weight. What did you think? 
Well, like you said, with so many other games that we play, the game gets simpler as you progress through it. Mm -hmm. With this game, there are a lot of symbols on here to describe your actions, but once you get those down, you're good to go. But this game, I felt you more than others really puts a timer on you in that you need to complete your mission for each era before everyone else, or else you can kiss it goodbye. You need to really focus on what you're going to be doing and don't get like pulled away by the shiny object on the left-hand side. Or, oh my goodness, look at the monkeys galloping around there on the right-hand side. You need to focus on what you're doing. Yes, and when you say kiss it goodbye, let, let's let's dive into that. That doesn't mean you're not going to be able to fulfill it. What that means is you're not going to get that building on the board uh, right away. The, the whoever mm-hmm. Once you complete the era mission, you get your building on the board, and that's going to unlock a benefit. If you do that, and I haven't for two rounds, that's a lot of time that you're reaping a reward that I am right. not. So you do, yes, there's a bit of a, a timer built in in that like – and it's a, it's a player-controlled timer, but it's one that you do have to be aware of. A race, we'll say. Yes, yes, very much so. Now, the rule book in Learning Curve, this is something where it's usually one of us does one and one does the other one. So I went with the Learning Curve because, okay. Patrick, you read over this and you let me know. The Learning Curve, once again, it's not bad. But that being said, if this was someone playing a Euro for the very first time, their head would be swimming a bit. Yeah. Uh, Being familiar with symbols and what they may do goes a long way toward the enjoyment of this game. So if you have some experience doing that and knowing like, oh, this looks like this from this other game and, oh, this, this is what you play in that other game, yeah, you can pick up on this quickly here. But if you're new and you're just jumping in, yeah, I, it's going to be a little bit of a painful experience for you with this yeah. one. If you're a hobby gamer, you're going to finish game one and be like, okay, re-rack it. I know, what yeah. I, I, I know my strategy now. I know how I want to play it, not how to play it. That's a great way of putting it. Yes, excellent way. And you know what? It's aided by the rulebook. Mad props to the rulebook. This is one of the best ones I've seen. It's colorful. It includes some flavor. It has some lore to it. There's actually, there's a separate book that is just like the history of. Uh, It's remarkably thorough. It lays out the rules and then it gives an example with pictures. And get this, just about every single painting card, combat card, gold card they can all be found in the back of the rule book and not just an index a fully illustrated index that outlines uh-huh. any rules that you might run into this rule book was top notch that takes us to my favorite bit bit number oh, five boy. the meat of the game this one's meaty isn't it oh very much so very very much so So you've got to make efficient plays with your action selection each turn, all with the goal in mind of accomplishing that era objective, all while you're scoring points for various buildings that you're placing, paintings you're acquiring, your brain can get wrapped up in this one for sure. Uh, Now that said, while there are a lot of actions to consider, resources to gather, buildings to construct, I think... I think maybe the meat of the game, the true puzzle here, is finding a way to do all those things while still getting the era goal accomplished. The things you need to accomplish to move to the next era, those are going to be the most critical puzzle pieces. And the meat of the game lies in figuring out how to get those while still playing efficiently, uh, 
defending where appropriate, exploring where you can, and all those other fun, you know, getting the paintings that you want, all the other goodies. You want to do all that, but you got to focus on the era objective. What did you think, Scott? Meat of Brazil Imperial. The one mechanic in this that really stood out for me was the ability to deploy your military that had been destroyed for free. Mm-hmm. So that's a big thing there. Being that the clock is ticking on your missions, that you want to get them done so you can gain the benefits from that, once one of your opponents completes theirs, you all move on to the next stage. Now, being that you can redeploy for free is a little like a catch-up mechanic I look at. A little bit. Because it allows you to get back in the game without having to go back through get the resources, pay for them, put them back out while everyone else is running far, farther and further away from you. This one here allows you to get back into the game quick enough. Now, you still have that little bit of a hiccup getting back into it, but you're not left in the dust of everyone else going on. Yeah, you lose a fight, your guys go back to home base, basically. And what game does that remind us of? Hmm. Scythe? (laughs) replayability and variability scott this to me it's going to rank somewhere in the middle i think for replayability which is kind of weird because there are a lot of variables the different empires that you can choose the couple of different leaders for each the paintings uh the order in which you uh you you choose the actions that you take the gold cards that you draw have abilities but nothing was extremely game altering i think maybe the biggest variable that's going to shape your play is your era objectives and these cards aren't wildly different. One might say you need uh, to move to era two. You need to have uh, what we'll say two paintings, mm-hmm. and you have to have two soldiers on the board, and also have have a cotton mill or a sawmill. Right? That's mm-hmm. it. Okay, that's not going to be wildly different, but that is different than the one that just says have four paintings. Okay, well that that's going to be a pretty different game. Oh yes, yeah. What do you think? Replayability and variability of Brazil. Well, I like the variability of making the map differently whenever you play it, Mm -hmm. because this here, it very easily could have been a fold-out map or a fold-out board that you're putting out that's going to be static and be the same thing over and over and over. Mm -hmm. Having the ability to change things around a little bit, make the terrain a little bit different, where you have to go and everything, that's a big thing there to build on both the variability and the replayability, because it's going to be something different whenever you play it again. You also add in the different leaders, the powers, and like you said, the goals at the end of the era, it really does give you a a great game to want to go back in there, replay it, and see what you get handed, and how are you going to overcome what you got. I hadn't considered the map, but you're absolutely right. We uh, when when I was showing you this when we did the two player map, there are other two player maps that you can play. Same with I think they do at least two in the back of the yeah. book for setup for two player for three player. They have scenarios, and there's nothing stopping players from like okay, everybody take one of the big map tiles, and then we're going to place little tiles in between. You know what I mean? Like you could draft yeah. positions. You could go as deep as you want with the map building. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that really adds a lot to the replayability of this game. Okay. Well, let's talk downsides then. Anything stick out to you as like, wow, this just, this didn't hit home or, or what is constructive criticism? Downsides of Brazil, Scott, what you got? Well, mine is the biggest thing is with the missions. 
If you are unable to complete your missions in a quick fashion, you're really at the mercy of your opponents uh, that are able to get them done. It would be one thing to have a player move on at their own pace to complete the missions, but as you move on, whether or not you have, that may force you into doing things that not, may not be beneficial to a positive game experience. So mm -hmm. that whenever you're playing, you may just be rushing through trying to get things done and not focusing on what you need to do. It, it's, oh, what's the saying? Forget it. I can't even remember the saying right now. <laughs> But it's like you're trying to get things done. It's not what you want to do, but it's what you need to do. You're busy putting out fires instead of trying to progress your game. So you were playing this game as Batman. Yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> Scott, I don't have a downside for Brazil. I was no. trying to think, you know, what sticks – and we can always pick at something and be like, oh, well, if you're not a hobby gamer, this is going to be hard for right, you. Right, yeah. It's like, okay, well, come on. That's, that's the low-hanging fruit. So – you know, we try and look at the downsides. Like, what's something that legitimately could bother someone? Now, there is a there's an underlying theme. You know, Brazil Imperial. Like, okay, we have Europeans uh, potentially. You know, this could be. I is it a colonization theme? A little bit. Uh, one of the factions you can play as are are natives that are equally powerful. Uh, we don't we don't touch that topic uh, really. Mm -hmm. We try we try to avoid that sort of thing, but. It is underlying. You know, there, there's no denying that historically that's how things went down. So if that bothers you, then note that it's in there. For me, the, the holdup, when I'm like, okay, I don't have a legit downside. What can I say here? I know it's a lot like Scythe. Not a copy paste, and and I like Scythe, right? Let's let's get that out of the way. Yeah, this isn't a copy paste. It does plenty that's different. It is its own game, and it can exist in a collection that already has Scythe. Oh, certainly, yes. Will it get picked on game day over Scythe? That might be where the downside comes into play. For me, the answer is, well, yeah, sure, I'll pick it over Scythe. But it's not because Brazil's necessarily a better game. It's because I've played Scythe 300 times at this point. You know what I mean? Like, a, mm -hmm. the discovery's done. I'm more intrigued by what Brazil might have to offer and the learning and exploring the game. But I'm not certain that it's better. And they're so similar, I'm not certain that it would get picked. Uh, so that, to me, that's what I could identify as a potential downside. Okay. Now, our final one we have here is, was it fun and who's it for? Mm -hmm. um, well, I kind of guessing from what you heard here, yeah, it was fun. Yeah. I really enjoyed the colorful nature of the board and the cards. The artwork was top-notch, definitely. Uh, this fits nicely into a library of someone wants a nice area control resource management type of game here. Uh, but I don't know if it would be good for someone new to the hobby, but no. someone who has a few Euro games under their belt. Oh man. Yeah. This is definitely one that you want to sit down and play and really explore. So yes, it's for someone that has some experience. It was definitely fun and I would definitely play it again. I'm glad to hear that. Yes, yeah, Brazil to me, this one's fun. Uh, and I keep I keep comparing it to Scythe. That's a good thing. Scythe is ranked number 16 on the Geek. Now, people that like Scythe, they're likely going to enjoy Brazil as well, though it does substitute Scythe's unique, intriguing world and storytelling art and minis with colorful portraits, some wooden pieces. And that's also going to cover who this game is for, I think. 
Fans of what we'll call a 4X wannabe, a game that wants players to feel like they're playing area control and warring with each other, but without any sort of crippling effect of combat, uh, without somebody being eliminated because they got attacked yeah. that one time, right? It tries to be a Euro 4X and in much the same way that Scythe does, it succeeds. Uh, any shortcomings that it has in that goal are also the same that Scythe has. We'll call it a low stakes 4X that has you racing to accomplish a goal. If you like a big game with advancements, great table presence, you want to feel like you're progressing, you don't want to lose a friend for attacking them, I think you're gonna gonna really enjoy Brazil Imperial. year ago this week, we had a chance to go through uh, an interesting little box that had stuff just stuck on it, and little Xerox copy of rules, <laughs> and this was a game called Earth, yes. and from our friend Connor Final from- Frontier. Oh, from our friend Connor Magui from um, Inside Up Games. <laughs> I was going to say, come on, Scott, it's Inside Up. <laughs> you know him better than I do. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, this is uh, an interesting little game here that you are building up an ecosystem on Earth and mm -hmm. you're building plants in different environments and different storms can happen. This just came out recently from people's Kickstarters. They're getting it. Oh, Plus, it's all over Facebook right it now. It also showed up on uh, BGA as well. So you can play it on there. So it's really fantastic to see that we had such a great time playing it and seeing now everyone's getting a chance to play it and it's just going absolutely bonkers. I'm kicking myself right now for not backing it at the time. Oh, and I did. No, I've got to go through at that time there. I was like, oh, I got too many things in the fire right now. I got to yeah. make something pass by. But, uh, yep, next con we're at, I'm going to be bumping uh, Connor saying, hey, 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 you got any more Earth? You got any more Earth, pal? You got some of huh? that Earth, you start scratching at your neck. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, it was great to see that. I, I cannot wait to play this game again. It was such a great experience playing it and really looking forward to playing again because there was just so much to explore in this game. And uh, yeah, I want to play it right now. That's all I know. What <laughs> well, did you think? This thing is top of the hots right now. It, it is the hotness all over Facebook. Uh, you know, what's funny is uh, I told Kyle, like, yeah, we're going to come out to Four Horsemen. We're going to play there. And he's like, what are you bringing? What are you bringing? He's like, oh, I got in Earth. And I was like, oh, we had that at our meetup last year. And I felt like, oh, wow, I just like nerd one up. <laughs> Kyle's got everything and he's super nice. So I felt like a dick immediately. But uh, <laughs> It was at the table at the meetup, which is fantastic. It's wonderful yep. to see everybody getting their copies. I will backpedal just a pinch. The BGA implementation, it might be an alpha. I'm not certain, but I don't know oh, if okay. everyone can play it. And I learned from teacher Ryan that like the alpha testing means you have to have like played 300 individual unique games or some like you, you have to be a, a true BGA enthusiast to mm. get invited to the alpha stuff. So when we played, I think it might've been because Ryan set it up and invited us. Oh, all right. That's well, said, it's something coming down the line though. Oh yeah. You know, it's coming. Oh, so I met a guy at the meetup. Uh, Ark Nova is in alpha. 
So uh, they're kicking my butts. He invited me, and they're beating the snot out of me at Arc Nova on, uh, on BGA <laughs> Async. Uh, that aside, this falls into that category that I mentioned uh, not too long ago of game that is relatively simple with a big deck of cards to shake things up. Oh, yes. Uh, Dice Tower. They had their big – you know, Connor, was he was so proud. He was sharing that image, and it was the four people from Dice Tower with the numbers underneath, what they rated it. And it was like 10, 9, 5, 9, 5, like all just – Glowing ratings. And I said then and there, you know what? This thing is destined for top 100. Give it one year. This will be in the top 100 if from nothing else from that picture and the Dice Towers review. So big congrats to Connor. I'm glad to see that. This is a fun one. The only thing that I wish would be a little bit different is the production. So we had our, we had that review copy and the Mm -hmm. back of the cards. It looked like Scott, once upon a time, (laughs) once upon a time, I made a game called the Walmart game. Right. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and the, the principle of the game. So my sister and I, we used to joke about the type of people that you see at Walmart. And right. this is before peopleofwalmart.com. So get off my back. This is an original idea, adventurers. We would joke like, oh, wouldn't it be funny if you saw this or someone giving someone the finger, right? So I went on Magic Set Editor. It was an old computer program that you could make your own magic cards, right? You could click and right. put an image in there and, you know, they, they could insert symbols. That's neither here nor there. I would put an image. And then the top would be like, this is uh, this is what you're looking for. And at the bottom, it would be a number of points, like where it would normally say power and toughness. So somebody in like all goth gear, and it was a mm-hmm. picture of a dude in like a trench coat. He looked like a Marilyn Manson type. Uh, <laughs> you would score five points if you found that. Things that are more rare, like a car accident in the parking lot or uh, somebody farting. You know, just things that you might run into while shopping at Walmart. The, the premise of the game was while in the car, you take your big deck and everybody gets 15 cards and you just put them, you know, look them over, know what you're looking for and put them in your pocket. And if mm-hmm. you see the thing, you say, hey, guys, look, I saw this. And you flip that card. You just turn it upside down and you've scored those points. When you get back to the car, you see who scored the most points. Right. And we had a lot of fun. Like spot a clown, spot someone dies, you know, just all kinds of things. The backs of my Walmart game cards, all I did was I went on like Microsoft Word and I I wrote the word Walmart, repeat, repeat, repeat. And so it just said Walmart a whole bunch of times because I couldn't come up with how to make the back of a card. I was 12. What am I supposed to do, right? The back of the cards on Earth, it looks like the back of my Walmart game. I'm not looking at an image right now, but I swear it just says Earth, 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 Earth. And it's got like a little green circle in the middle. I was like, Mm -hmm. what? Who made that decision? The player boards, they look like, okay, there's a yellow box, a green box, uh, a box, a blue box, and four little leaf symbols. It, it doesn't – I wish that the prototype copy got built upon a little bit more. Uh, while the game mm. is so visually pleasing, the cards are so nice to look at. The fronts, not the backs. <laughs> so much of the game is so good looking that, that I wish that maybe that uh, – we'll say the graphic design – was a little dressed up too. Uh, that said, I'm uh, not poo-pooing the game. I think it's wonderful. I am having so much fun playing it on BGA. It's it's just a, a great game. And congrats to Connor for putting out what looks to be a real winner. Scott, before we close out the episode with a two games enter, one game leave, I had the opportunity to chat with someone in the community named Katia. I'm scrolling down the book of face as I'm one to do, and I notice there's this mosaic using all these board game pieces, and I, I turned you on to this, and I know you're scrolling on it right now. Mm-hmm. Oh, so, yeah, yeah. Katya's deal is she, well, you know what? I'm not going to spoil everything. I sat down and talked to her. You want to hear it? Yes, 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 yes. I want to know what goes behind all this stuff here. 
Hey, adventurers, I'm so happy to have this segment for you today. We've got Katia Howitson in the Level Up Studios. Hi, Katia. Hi. So we've all been there scrolling down social media and something catches your eye. So I'm scrolling and I see this looks like a mosaic that looks just like Gilly. One of the gear locks from Too Many Bones. (laughs) So I click the picture and sure enough, it's a mosaic made up of hundreds, probably thousands of board game bits like meeples and resources and coins. I followed the Instagram page. Every so often, there's another mosaic popping up inspired by a board game. And they're all done by our guest today, Katia. So we're going to take a moment and learn a little bit more about the artist behind the work. Katia, you must love games. You must love art. Somewhere along the line, these two paths crossed. Tell us a little bit about why board game inspired mosaics. How did (laughs) this come to be? (laughs) So, I mean, I've always been artistic in a way, but I've never actually put into practice until COVID started, really. I mean, I took graphic design when I got out of high school and basically didn't use it since mm-hmm. covid started so the the skills i learned there ended up being useful but so it started as i was volunteering as a moderator with a facebook group and um i was always trying to find original ways to make posts so basically they were how do you call them it, i would lay out board game pieces and have people um try and guess where try they were guess from what game all those pieces are from okay Correct. i've seen so, similar you're right so eventually, um, when COVID started and um, I didn't have any more work, I sort of got a little bit more creative with the way that I was laying out the pieces. So I mm-hmm. started making images. I made a palm tree. I made a flower. And people thought they were really cool. So I <laughs> just kind of went from there. And then I ended up doing the logo for, I don't know if you're familiar with Board Game Shot, the um is out of Poland, I believe, and he does board game photography. Mm-hmm. So I ended up doing his logo just because I thought it was a cool logo. It's basically a camera that has board game pieces like shooting out of it. So I oh, thought cool. I'm going to try and make his logo with board game pieces. Mm-hmm. And then it caught the attention of Gameland Games, who then reached out to me and said, it, Hey, would you do our logo and we can do a giveaway? And make it like a partnership and try and grow your Instagram. And so I thought, okay. <laughs> um, and then they sent me a bunch of games to, you know, incorporate the pieces in the logo. Sure, sure. So anyway, so that's kind of where it started. And I actually got help from them to start my Instagram because I didn't really know what I was doing. I didn't know how to make a story. I didn't know how to run giveaways. I didn't know how to do any of this. I just had a few p- pictures posted. And so um, one of them ended up helping me and then suggested, hey, you should make a calendar with images made out of board game pieces. And there were a few people in the community that I had requested that. And I thought, who uses calendars nowadays? So why would I do that? <laughs> we so- have one on our kitchen. Fr- we have one on the fridge in the kitchen. And I'm telling you, Katia, that thing is gospel. If it's on there, <laughs> like if I need a day that I'm planning up a game day, I sneak it on there a month ahead of time. And then no questions can be asked. But oh, it's been on the calendar for a month. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, so it's sort of so it sparked that idea. And I mean, obviously, the scary thing is, how do you even go about it? Because you need, you know, the logistics, 
you need to have a manufacturer, you need to have a distribution system, you need to know how to make a Kickstarter. Basically, it all happened very, very fast the first year because this was already in the spring. Mm -hmm. um, so I ended up making mosaics. So what I did, I partnered with board game publishers and made mosaics of their games. And I right. also did their logo as well. So I don't know why I did all of that because that was an insane amount of work. But that's what I did. <laughs> and then I thought since it's a board gaming calendar, I will also create a, you know, like a space for people to log their monthly games that they've played. And then I Absolutely. also included, mm -hmm. and then I also included a, the 12 by 12 or 10 by 10 challenge. The 10 yeah, by 10 the or 12 by 10. Yeah. The, yeah. The 10 by 10 challenge. I ended up putting one of those at the back. So okay, let's clarify that last, for listeners that don't yes. know. What's the 10 by 10 challenge? So people have been, I believe it started on BGG. Somebody had posted, basically, you pick 10 games that you're going to play 10 times in the span of the year. Mm -hmm. So that's why they call it a 10 by 10. So what I ended up doing is I created a column with 10 lines, but then I thought it would be really cool if you're filling in meeples to keep track of how many times you've played the game. So then okay. it evolved into the idea of, well, then I'm going to include a sticker sheet with my calendar and like create these little meeple stickers. Uh, hindsight, I don't know how the first Kickstarter even was successful because, oh my God, I had, I, I like, I took on so much work to make it happen, but I did. But that's why, that's where like my, my artistic background in a way and the graphic design came into play because I was able to do the entire Kickstarter page myself. I was able to do the calendar myself, like all the layouts. I was able to do those meeple stickers and all of that stuff. That's basically how it all kind of started. And then people continued to ask for commissions. Publishers started reaching out, wanted, you know, images inspired by the games. And then some publishers just started sending me pieces, like extra pieces, because when I started doing that, I was just using my own board game pieces oh to make. Goodness. You would have to put them all back in the boxes that they came from. You know what? We're, we're diving right into my next question. It was going to be, where do you get all these pieces? And I thought maybe the game crafter, maybe she's ordering like cubes and resources in bulk. The publishers were helping you out with that. So, well, originally, originally it was. It was me digging out of my own games. I've shared pictures in the past on my social media of the mess that it made. And it was absolutely <laughs> atrocious. I had about 25 game boxes open on the floor, baggies everywhere. Yeah, it was, it was a mess. But because I knew my games very well, I was able to always, like I always knew where the game pieces went. Oh, this meeple goes like, which, to that box. This little correct. soldier goes here. The correct. stone goes. Okay, okay. <laughs> yeah, it's you still end the up getting. I know you end up getting very familiar with your games and the pieces that are in them when you do this. But over the years, publishers started sending me spare parts. Basically, when they get mm -hmm. a game published, they always, you know, order spares because people either are missing some from the games or some get lost or whatever it is. Yeah, they started sending me uh, pieces. So what I did is I ended up buying these. It, they're almost meant for like hardware. It's like a unit that has a bunch of little drawers. And the drawers uh, are clear. Okay. So they're transparent. So I can see what colored stuff I have in each little drawer. Mm -hmm. And so I started sorting the components by color. 
And yeah, now I have like four of those cubbies. Now it's like a <laughs> hardware store with board game <laughs> bits. Oh, that sounds wonderful. Well, it's actually handy because every so often you'll get a game and then you look at the components and they're little cubes and you're like, oh, now I wonder if I have something more interesting in one of my cubby parts to replace that resource with. But <laughs> but yes, if I mean, I can't even imagine doing what I do now with just my games. It would be insane. And, and of course, with <laughs> having the extra resources that people have sent me allows me to have more details, more gradient of colors, because, you know, most games include the blue, red, yellow, green kind of meeples. Some of the or, primaries, yeah. The, the right. vibrant colors, your pastels and faded things are going to be a lot harder to come by. Right. So, you know, thankfully, publishers like Devere Games, you know, that have made the Bitoku game that has all this pastel color, sent me extra pieces. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I've gotten pieces from so many publishers now. It's it's very humbling that they're just willing to, you know, send me components like that for nothing, just so that they can be in my art pieces. So, yeah. <laughs> All right, I'll put you on the spot with the next one. I'm scrolling down. I, you know, I mentioned Gilly. I saw the box cover from Role Player. A bunch of the logos are fantastic. I see Sagrada in there. Do you have a favorite? Do you have one that sticks out as like, wow, this one, I'm proud of this one, or this one really turned out great or was a fun build? Does anything stick out? The one that I, I always thought was special was the one – from Floodgate Games, actually, uh, Holy, their game Holy Festival, Festival of Colors. Of Colors. Um, Appropriate. So this one, originally when I started, so I wanted it to be authentic. So because it's a it's a religious festival, I wanted it to be to to pick a, a temple that that was authentic from one of those countries that celebrate Holy. I started assembling it, and then through one of the images, I found out that it was actually a temple in Utah. Oh, that, well. Yeah. <laughs> and uh -oh. so apparently, <laughs> Utah has a, a beautiful temple that they celebrate holy there. But I felt like, okay, no, this, this doesn't work for what I'm trying to, mm -hmm. to convey. So I had to restart I had to find a new image, pick a new temple and try and represent it. But what I like the most about that piece is the negative space of the people celebrating at the bottom because I made it on a black background. And so the image looks like, so you see the temple, you see all the, the, the color clouds in front of the temple. And then at the bottom, you see the, the black outlines of people celebrating. So th I think that's probably one of my favorite was because it was the first time that I really used that negative space. Like the way I made this one is I had drawn little people on paper, cut it out, laid it on my table where I assemble the artwork. And then basically started putting board game pieces around the outline of the people and then removed the piece of paper. And then I was left with the outline mm. of the person with the arms up in the air. That was definitely when I realized, okay, I can start doing some cooler things now <laughs> by, by just approaching it a different way and using a different technique. 
Now I don't want to give away a trade secret, but I'm I'm looking at these. And I'm like, wow, these are <laughs> these are really good. I, I joke with Scott. I have an artistic bone in my body, but I'm not very good. I'm guessing. Do you do you recreate the picture? Do you draw a picture on like a piece of poster board and then place the pieces on top of it to 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 build no. it that way, or do you just like pick out pieces and just start going? Okay, so when I originally started. I wasn't drawing anything. And then when I started doing more intricate compositions, I figured, okay, maybe I start with a sketch, especially when it's a commission that someone asks me to do, then I'll definitely do a sketch, which I send them a picture. Yeah. And I want to, I want them to have an idea of what the composition will look like, uh, where the things are going to sit. And so what I do is I just take a regular piece of paper, which is way smaller than the end result. The end mm-hmm. pieces are normally like a couple of feet wide, a couple of feet tall. But I just use a little like eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper. And I draw a sketch just to kind of lay out where I want what to be. So, okay. for example, I'm the one I'm releasing tomorrow. So you're I mean, you're going to be releasing this episode after it comes out, but so two um, weeks ago, the if piece, you're listening. right? Sure. So the piece that I just made is to represent the game Love Letter. I basically sketched out, you know, the letter itself, the envelope where it's going to be, the little ink well with the quill. I also put a little candle. So I just drew where I wanted to put the items, and then. When I start my mosaic, what I'll do is I'll start by taking the little drawers from my cubbies that have the colors mm-hmm. that I need. I'll also empty, you know, I will still use some of my board games. So I will open boxes and go and fit out components that I think will be useful. Mm-hmm. And I do that primarily by colors. So I know that, for example, with Love Letter, I'm going to need some browns for the table. I'm going to need some ivory tan colors for the letter and stuff like that. So I when I start, I have my sketch close mm-hmm. by to sort of be able to look at it and keep in line with what I had planned. But the main thing is that throughout my process, I will use my phone, kind of put it over top of the table and take like a bird's eye view shot of what I'm working on to see mm-hmm. are the proportions right? You know, do I need to move anything before I get too far into it? And I do that throughout the whole process because every so often what will end up happening is because I'm short and my table is a little bit (laughs) higher than a regular table. When I'm looking at it and I'm assembling things, I'm not looking at it directly from top down. I'm on an angle. Angled perspective. Yeah. I hadn't thought of that. Right. So I need to, (laughs) I need to use my phone to take pictures so that I can see, okay, what does it look like from above? To make sure that, yeah, things are positioned properly, that the, um, the, the perspective is right because I'm trying to make things look 3D. So it might look 3D from where I'm standing, but if I go up top, maybe it's skewed a little bit. So I constantly have to like readjust. Um, you know what I'm going to save you some time. You could go upstairs and you could cut a hole in the floor and then you could just <laughs> look down through it. You, you save energy on your phone. <laughs> What's funny is I actually, I live in an apartment that's a loft, so I do have really high ceilings. I could probably build something that goes over top of the table with a little ladder, but uh, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) I'm going to stick to doing artwork and not construction. (laughs) Well, Cassie, let me ask you a couple more. Let's uh, let's get to the the board games specifically. You're clearly a gamer. Mm -hmm. What's your favorite board game? 
My favorite still to this day, it's been my favorite for years and hasn't changed. And I will explain why. It's Five Tribes. Very nice. It's an older game. I mean, I say older because it's it didn't come out last year. So <laughs> That's um, typically it, the criteria. It was one of the earlier games I acquired. And it has a mechanism that you don't see often in other board games. It's a Mancala mechanism. So for those who are not familiar with the game, you have tiles that are laid out um, as you're set up, like it's a five by five grid, I believe. And you have different colored meeples and you will start the game by having three meeples dropped on each tile. And so when you take your turn, you're grabbing a handful of meeple from the board and you are dropping one per tile. You're basically like deciding which path you're taking. Mm-hmm. And then the meeples that from the tile you land on will determine which one gets activated. So basically um, each colored meeple has a different thing that, that they do. So it depends on what's on the board, what's left, what your opponent took before you. And it will, you know, dictate a little bit which strategy you're going for. But it's a game that I find every time you play it, you can play it differently. You can go for a different strategy. It can be a little AP inducing for some, but I think the reason why I enjoy it so much is because I, I'm very quick to take my turns. I look at whatever's there and I'll just make my decision. And I, I still, I might not win, but I still love the game regardless. I just really, really enjoy the way that it was designed. And it's really not something you find in a lot of games. It's kind of its own animal. Yes. And mm-hmm. you know, and it does have a bit of that AP inducing induction, whatever it is, especially at the beginning, there's a lot of front loaded information because you mm-hmm. can, you could take hours. You could use a computer, I bet, to, to try and figure out, okay, where should I pull from? Where should I go to? What mm-hmm. should I activate on that last one? But you know what? Just going with your gut, that's the fun of the game. You know there's no way to come up with the perfect play. Mm-hmm. What, but whatever you're doing, if it feels good, that's the play. And then things start to narrow down. And sometimes, you know, that's a game where it's really good to be the person that goes after someone who's not very good at it because <laughs> they <laughs> set you up. So whoever's going after me uh, usually wins because I, I just, oh, I'm going to do these because I think it works. Uh, a good call on five tribes and you got a whole bunch of meeples to get started with mosaics. Meeples, camels. Tribes. Yeah, uh-huh. meeples, camels. There's some <laughs> palm trees in there. There's some ca- like little golden palaces. Oh, there's gold. All kinds of. Black. Yeah. <laughs> It's a great one for doing mosaics, for sure. I use it often. Well, Katya, I really appreciate you spending time with us on Level Up today. The last thing I want to do is uh, listeners want to know, where can we see more of this? Tell us, where can we find the, you know, do we have a calendar upcoming? Tell us where to, to, to find more pictures, more of these mosaics. Of course. So you can follow me on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, but mostly it's Instagram and Facebook. I go by Board Game Art Creations. I also have a website, boardgameartcreations.com. So I have some merchandise I sell through there. If you ever want prints, you can send me a message. I will hook you up. Um, that's something that people do all year round. However, when I launch my Kickstarter, I always launch the, the calendar. Plus I offer prints. I usually offer some other items. Um, and then, you know, people can buy the bundle or whatever it is. I'm targeting early May for the 2024 calendar. 
Excellent. Uh, to be on Kickstarter. So if all goes as planned, it should be early May. So if you don't want to miss out on the launch, then I recommend people go to boardgameartcreations.com and they sign up for the newsletter, which means that when I launch, I'll send out an email to all the, the subscribers. Otherwise, like I said, I will post about the launch on my social media. So people should find out when it goes live, but it should be early May. Oh, they'll be following. One look. All you <laughs> adventurers go to the show notes. You can click on the link to the Instagram, the Facebook, the, the Kickstarter, the, the website. I'm going to put it all there for you. And I'm telling you what, don't do this if you're in your car, but click those show notes now and go check these out. It, it's fascinating. Very cool stuff, Katia. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks so much for having me. You know what? There are times whenever I hear stories about things I did during COVID. I didn't really do that much. I, I We started doing a podcast and everything, and uh, I played some games. Hearing whenever someone's like, during COVID... I started this whole thing of art with different meeples and doing all this stuff. This is amazing. Just the ability to be able to look at the pieces, fit everything together, and and make all this wonderful, wonderful artwork. It's absolutely incredible what Katsi has done here. Having the calendar, all that kind of stuff there, it is just so beautiful to look at and so original. I think that's what the part that really sticks out to me is it's something you haven't seen and it's just such an original look to it. And I think one of the best things is looking at it and trying to figure out, now what game is that piece from? <laughs> yep. it, it's like a, a it's like a mutated version of Where's Waldo? Yeah, yeah, it's a wonderful artwork. Uh, Katia, thank you so much for joining the show. Adventures, again, that's Board Game Art Creations. Go on Instagram, look that up, and you're just going to be scrolling going, Oh, wow. yeah. Wow. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> truly, truly amazing stuff here. You're going to absolutely love it. Welcome to another edition of Back to Thunderdome, Scott. I love this. Two games. Enter one game. Leaves. This one comes from Jason. He submitted this via the BGG Guild, Guild 3722. Check the show notes. Join and by all means, you got a two games enter, one game leave. We'd love to hear it. So what games am I going to trounce on this time here? Which one's going to get kicked to the curb? Let's go. like this. It's okay. It's going to be right. So Jason is a friend of ours who is at the meetup. He knows Scott pretty well and he knows what you love and he's hitting you right in the feels, buddy. You're not going to like this. Two games enter. They are Dune Imperium. All right. Versus Obsession. Oh, Lukak, you suck. Two games enter, one game leaves. Scott, uh, that means one of these you will be able to play at any time. You'll have the exact player count that you want forever. You can play this game. The other one, you'll never get to play again. Oh, all right, all right, all right, all right. Now, hear me out here. All right. Obsession. Now, we've got the whole, like, Downton Abbey, Bridgerton thing going there. we got that theme going that, 
you you look at it and luckily there's enough things on TV that you really build that image in your head. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Then you got Dune Imperium that you have this just absolutely huge visual of that movie and the grandeur of that as well. Then you go into the playing and you've got all these Victorian age English people that you need to make sure that you have the right servants to be there for them Mm -hmm. and do things to make them, to entertain them in order to make your place as uh, prominent as anything. It's got to be bumping. It's got to be on point and the food's got to be bussing. But then in Dune Imperium, you're playing a different house and you need to get out there and once again, make sure that, well, not really uh, have the place bumping, but I mean, have everyone everyone <laughs> safe and uh, exerting your dominance on people. Now, exerting your dominance on people at on uh, uh, obsession, that could involve lawyers and stuff. So that, that that's that's not really recommended. <laughs> Now you know you know what he did here, Scott. He hit you. He hit you with two games that you love. Two very different games. Yeah. One thing here that's a big difference is there's no battling in obsession. Well, Mm -hmm. I guess there is some like uh, little nagging and send the servants out. Oh, you can take away some here. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. But then you don't really have the deck building in obsession that you do in Dune Imperium. Yeah. Yeah. So, oh man, this you oh. just got. Let me remind adventurers: Scott just got everything for Obsession, gifted to him by Teacher Ryan because he loves the game so dearly. And yet, Dune Imperium, I know the big box is on the way. You've got both expansions. You put the stickers on the meeples. You have dressed up the game. You have had yeah. intimate times with this game. Mm. Oh man. Uh. And whenever he said that I can never play the other one again, that's where it hurts. <sighs> I've got to say, I gotta go with Dune Imperium. Oh, I wow! You know, I didn't know what you were gonna go with. That's Dune Imperium takes it over obsession for you. I just look at it that you have the deck building aspect of it. You have the worker placement aspect of it. Mm-hmm. It is uh, oh that oh it is a little bit more open whereas obsession can be slightly linear uh Dune Imperium is much more here's what I want to do this game yeah yeah you, you explain it better I'm 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 just <laughs> sitting here hurting right now <laughs> Scott don't tell me what your favorite game is we're gonna save that for episode 100 unless it is in fact is your favorite game Dune Imperium uh they gotta wait for that okay fair enough fair enough. All right, adventures. while Scott is licking his wounds, having just gone through Thunderdome, we're going to end this episode as we always do. This feels like the right point, Scott, so we're going to talk how we leveled up since last time. I'll leave it. You can take yes. the, you can you can wrap those bandages and apply some more gauze while I tell adventures. Yeah, and my yeah, level up was yeah. this gigantic meetup, of course, which we'll talk about more next episode. But specifically, I thought this was really cool. So I have a I have a second grader little girl. We're we're in the meetup, right? You know, people are there's, there's adults, there's grown-ups there, and these six little girls, these third graders, third grade <laughs> girls come waltzing in with mom, and they're not there for the meetup. I gather that well, I don't gather. One of them, it was their birthday, and I think that they were walking around the mall. Maybe they did a movie or something, and then they were just mall 
shopping or something, right? They planned on going into the Four Horsemen to, okay, let's play a board game while we're there. They didn't know that there was a meetup. So they walk back there. There's all these snacks and bananas. And just so they, first of all, they finished all of our cookies. <laughs> I was not pleased about that. No, I'm, I'm pleased to have had them. That's fine. <clears throat> I, I joke. They couldn't find a game to play. The mom was like, you know what? We normally play this game and I don't see it back there. She looks at me. She's like, do you know anything they could play? And I was like, oh, geez, what do we do? What do we do? <laughs> Broke out Taco Cat because I had it in my bag. You know, again, I wanted to play simple things so I could talk oh, to yes, people. Oh, yes, yes. Broke out Taco Cat. And I'm explaining it to these kids. And one of them was like, I have this one. I have this one. And I was like, okay. And whenever a gorilla happens, we got to do this. And you got to make the noise, which you don't have to. But like they were all getting in on it. And the mom was smiling. She's like, oh, you're making their day while they were playing. And then teacher Ryan hops in on it. He knew, oh. Oh, what's the magic mountain? It's yes, I, I yes. can't remember. It's the one with the witches and the schoolgirls, and they, you got marbles, and you got to get them all down the ramp. He knew that one, so he's like, "Okay," you know. I was like, "All right, Ryan, the floor is yours." We had them there for like an hour, and there was laughter, and there was thinking, and they, I'm telling you what, they might have had the best time of anybody at that meetup. I was, I was so happy, and that's why that's my level up. That was very impressive. I saw you over there doing it, and you were so into it, and. It was great seeing you doing that. So <laughs> kudos on you for that. I, I called my wife that and I was like, you're never going to believe what happened. <laughs> Scott, tell me, how'd you level up since last time? Well, how I leveled up, this is going to be a little bit more of a personal thing here. Uh, I leveled up by having an argument with my wife. Oh, And this may you sound- You won an awfully... argument? Husband well, wins argument. That is nope, level nope, up nope, worthy. Nope. Nope, nope, it wasn't. We just had an argument. Hmm. And it's one of those things where we very rarely do, if ever, have an argument or anything. And even this wasn't really an argument more than just a disagreement of sorts. What happened was, after we were done, we just kind of like aired our grievances. We had our little festivus and uh, moved I've got on. a lot of problems with you people, and you're, you're going to hear about them. <laughs> <laughs> but it was one of those things where we did it and aired it out and it just made us happy again. And it was just like one of those things where it was like a speed bump in life that we got over and moving on and just happy again. And it's wonderful. And it was such a great release valve to do that. I know it sounds kind of stupid and everything, but that for me, that was a big level up there that we did that and we're able to just get through it and get even better and closer and friendlier and loving and everything else together. So it was wonderful. Emphasis, it, it exemplifies the strength of your relationship that you're able to do that. Yes, you do words good. I try. You know what? I thought your black eye came from Thunderdome. Now I know oh, why. Sh- 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 <laughs> that's why we're on a podcast. You just have to, adventurers need to know, was it an argument about you playing too many board games? It's getting late here, Patrick. We <laughs> should uh, finish up here. Hey, adventurers, thank you so much for joining us for episode 90. Boy, that feels amazing, wow. doesn't it? Keep your ears open. If not next week, three weeks from now, we're going to be talking Forges of Ravenshire with Sam Stockton from BA Games. That one's going to be on Kickstarter mid-April. Get on back and listen to our Kyperium episode. Late pledges are going to be open soon. I still highly, highly recommend that one. Endorsing the heck out of that game. Great guys behind it, too. As we always do, we're going to end this one with some final words from our dear King Scott. Always remember to forget the things that made you sad. 
adventurers for joining us for this episode of the Level Up Board Game Podcast. We encourage all adventurers to check out our website at levelupgamepodcast.com. That's where you can submit your thoughts and audio to be used in a future episode. Please consider rating us on iTunes, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter and Instagram, and join the Board Game Geek Guild, Guild 3722. Music for the podcast provided by Adam Haynes and the Heatley Brothers. And remember, whether in hobby or in life, always do what you can to level up.